0: Welcome to The Optimistic Curmudgeon, where the best ideas win. I'm your host, Josh Herring. Today, my guest is Dr. Suzanne Hartle, professor of business at Nyack College and adjunct professor with Liberty University Online. I had the privilege of meeting Dr. Hartle and her husband, also Dr. Hartle, at the Acton Institute's Free and Virtuous Society Conference in in Minneapolis a few weeks ago. I'm delighted to get to carry on that conversation today. Suzanne, welcome to The Optimistic Curmudgeon.
1: Well, thank you for that welcome and that fine introduction, and I'm delighted to be here. You know, we can pretty much pick up our conversation from where we left off at uh, the, the meeting in August, and um, that uh, it sounds good. So um, what can I tell you?
0: Well, I, I will freely confess, I, I love, one of the reasons I do this show is because I get to meet people who have expertise in all kinds of areas, and my life and career has not taken me anywhere near uh, business in the sense of teaching business or management, uh, so I, I want to learn everything you can tell us today about uh, kind of your area of expertise. Uh, before we dive in, uh, help us know you just a little bit. Tell us a bit about your career. Uh, how did you get to become a professor of business? Was, was that always your intent or did it sort of come along? Uh, tell us a bit more of your story.
1: Okay. Um, I took a rather circuitous route, I think, to uh, becoming a professor uh, in business and management. Um, I started out in college as a biology major, and that's so how I met Tom, uh, who you met at uh, Acton Institute's mm-hmm. uh, seminar. And uh, he and I um, married shortly after graduating. Uh, we moved to Iowa where he continued uh, his studies as a PhD in biochemistry. And I, um, I just picked up a, a lab job uh, at the university, in support of him. We ended up uh, eventually just moving uh, when his uh, faculty advisor wanted to take a position at um, LSU. So we moved uh, to um, uh, New Orleans. And so we did get to see quite a bit of the country when we were younger, um, living in different places in in, uh, the United States. And um, uh, we enjoyed each and every one. Um, I had um, uh, saw at that time that the the job market wasn't, it was kind of in a slump. The economy was in a slump. Um, uh, I think we know the story uh, from mm-hmm. today. And um, I thought maybe it's since he's doing his, he's still doing his work in his PhD, I'll go back and um, do some work. I didn't want to do more science. I wanted something different. And my father had always said, you know, why don't you, you know, major in business or economics? And Um, He was my father, so I didn't listen, and I later later, uh, learned the wisdom of it. And uh, so I I decided to take up an MBA at uh, UNO, completed that. Uh, When Tom and I were finished, uh, we both wanted to move closer to home, moved to New York, um, uh, where uh, Tom continued uh, his um, postdoctoral work and then later uh, got a job in industry, I took a job in industry as well. Uh, I um, had a, um, a career in um, uh, business analysis with uh, publishing companies, uh, first with uh, the old Doubleday company uh, in New York and uh, later with uh, Businessweek, McGraw-Hill mm-hmm. at the time uh, owned Businessweek. And so um, I I did um, uh, market development and Mm -hmm. uh, business analysis, made lots of presentations at that time. We wanted to start a family. Um, You know, for some couples, it's just not that easy. Mm -hmm. Um, And we learned, um, yeah, we were one of those um, couples that needed uh, medical intervention to do Mm -hmm. that. I um, did finally have my first child, uh, went back to work and thought, you know, um, we had all, we took all this trouble to have him and he was being raised by somebody else. So, um, yeah, I, as much as I enjoyed uh, the work and the job, I, I think my career was uh, taking off in a great direction. Um, I decided that, um, you know, we, Tom and I would talk, we prayed about it and we thought that uh, we can make it on one salary and nice. we did. Uh, and I had uh, a wonderful time with my um baby, my little boy. And um, as um, uh, God's providence, uh, a uh, I, as I was working in the church with um, uh, one of the, the uh, a, a lady that I knew was working at Nyack College as a professor, um, we got to be friends and uh, she knew that I had an MBA and I had business experience. And she said, you know, um, we're looking uh, uh, for uh, adjunct teachers in uh, your area, would you be interested? And since um, Matt, my son, was you know, on his way to school at that time, and once they're in school, you have you know six hours to go crazy. So um, I thought, uh, yeah, this this might be a good time. Uh, and so I, I changed careers from being a um, a business analyst, uh, so to speak, to uh, teaching uh, business uh, and, um, and management. And so I ended up with NIAC college. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was an adjunct. I came on full time. Uh, I eventually, um, uh, chaired the department and I chaired the department at NIAC, uh, for, oh, 14 years. Yeah. So 14, wow. yeah, had a long tenure doing that. We did some great things, Josh. Um, it was so much fun and it, it's, um, you get used to it after a while being the oldest person in a room, <laughs> you know. Uh, but it, it has its perks. Um, uh, it, it's exciting working with young people all the time. Uh, we came up with some great ideas. Um, uh, they are most recent ones. Uh, we hooked up with them, uh, an organization that allowed us to do an entrepreneur's contest. Ooh. Yeah, it was it wonderful. Was, um, uh, uh, so successful we, we had people waiting in the wings to get in to, to see the contest we arranged it like um, uh, the shark tank you know where we had the music wow. and the people come in and make their presentations uh, I had lined up uh, a number of um, uh, former students that were were uh, businesses business owners and uh, entrepreneurs uh, as well as um, uh, other people who had um, uh, the um, my I guess my coworker had uh, mm-hmm. looked into and um, we had them as judges and uh, we had cash prizes for the winners. Uh, one of the uh, third, the third place uh, group was um, uh, they, they decided to go ahead and implement their idea and they wanted to anyway. And uh, it, they wanted to try it on campus as a, as a uh, coffee shop, uh, oh. that, you know, oh, yeah. expand and, you know, develop uh, and, you um, so uh, I, it, it took a while, the, the wheels at um, uh, academic institutions, perhaps, you know, turn slowly, uh, but we eventually got the idea off the ground and they started the coffee shop. It was doing uh, very well. Uh, they were looking to expand into other products, which meant that they would be uh, contracting with uh, local organizations uh, in uh, the Nyack area to provide, you know, th- donuts and, you know, things like that. Um, oh, but cool. yeah, it, it was, it really was, uh, yeah, I, uh, it was just a, a cool is the right word. Uh, there are other positives uh, that adjectives that I could, could add to it, but it was, um, it was a lot of fun. Uh, they had, they also had to think of challenges like, like mm-hmm. training, who was going to take over cause they, they weren't going to run it forever. There were, they were students. It's the student venture. And so they, they put together training videos on YouTube and uh, they really got a, a, a strong, um, uh, broad uh, lay of the land of how it is to operate a business. And hmm. uh, I, I was very, very proud of them and very proud of my faculty for all they'd done to support them and teach them uh, the ropes from the accounting and the economics to the uh, the finance and to the manage management and leadership skills that, that are needed to run a business, uh, and they did a fabulous job. It was really exciting, and I was so sad when the organization decided they would move to uh, Manhattan. Oh. Uh, yeah. So they Niac College is uh, now in Manhattan, not Niac, okay. and it's no longer Niac anymore. It's uh, the, the name was recently changed. Uh, to, which makes more sense uh, to Alliance University uh, now that it is in lower Manhattan. Uh, so if you look for it, um, that that is the organization. Um, there are new people there. Um, I um, as it seems like Manhattan isn't all that far. I mean as the crow flies, it's oh, you know,
0: but getting yeah. into New York City, if you're not already in New York City is a' is a bear. Yeah.
1: Yes, uh, it it is, and um, uh, it would be a, a two hour commute there, two yeah. hour commute back, at least three three days a week, you know, sometimes more. Uh, so I decided uh, I'm going to drop back to adjunct. So I wasn't okay. always an adjunct. I I i, I just dropped back uh, from uh, chairing the department and having all these exciting and ex- wonderful experiences I was blessed with, wow. and uh, so. But now I teach online. I teach mm-hmm. the um, online classes uh, with NIAC, now Alliance uh, University, and I mainly focus on um, uh, the leadership management uh, uh, courses, such as business ethics, business communication. Um, I, I don't do principles of management anymore or introduction to business, but I do also I do uh, human resource management and organizational behavior. Uh, those are, are, they lend themselves pretty well to uh, online instruction. So uh, we decided we'd focus there and allow on-ground personnel to take on the role of uh, teaching the uh, foundational courses, the Introduction to Business and the um, uh, Principles of Management. And Introduction to Business was was my idea coming in too. So I was particularly proud of uh, uh, bringing in that course um, rather than just getting them right into management and economics. Mm-hmm. Um, we we uh, held it back and gave them a little bit of a, a broader view. And I think uh, intro to business classes have really been um, uh, taking off in many uh, college programs for business uh, since um, uh, that this is, you know, going back years now. Sure. Yeah. Well, Dr. Hartle, thank you so much for telling us your story. I, I love that. Uh, a
0: couple of quick things I want to make sure to comment on. Um, it's really interesting. You were working with McGraw-Hill. My grandpa used to be a, a textbook salesman with McGraw-Hill uh, and, and Glencoe McMillan back in Kentucky years and years ago. So I remember uh, every time we'd go to his house when I was a kid, he would send us home with McGraw-Hill textbooks that he had in his in his. Uh,
1: yeah. Um, you get uh, you get samples when you've got it
0: yep. in there, right? Uh-huh. That's it. Uh, also, I just want to also highlight. I, I love that you uh, chose to stay home for those early years. Uh, it it seems to me that um, I I've met so many women who feel like they have uh, that. It, it seems like there's been this huge feminist victory that they're in the workplace, and so they feel obligated to remain in the workplace. So I'm always excited to hear. Uh, my my mom made a similar choice. She was on a teaching career trajectory. And then decided she would stay home to uh, take care of me and my two brothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I always, I, I'm always encouraged when I, I meet other women who see that raising their children is uh, is maybe more important, if not equally important, to their career and worth kind of taking a different route uh, for for that season of life. That, that's that's very exciting.
1: Oh yes, uh, and uh, I, I advise I advise countless young women um, that that I thought really did have the talent to be, uh, some of them had uh, CEO-like talent. And we'll discuss that in a minute. Um, But uh, still, um, especially those early years, Josh, are so Mm -hmm. crucial, I think, to uh, the emotional development of a human being. Mm -hmm. Um, They even say for puppies, I mean, that's important. The first eight weeks of a puppy's life. Imagine a human being. Uh, yeah, and we, we ship them off and institutionalize them, uh, in my view, way too soon. Mm. Uh, yeah, I think it's important, at least for the first three to five, uh, three to five years, mm-hmm. uh, to uh, devote uh, some focus to your children, focus to your family. Um, it's my view um, that God honors that um, and uh, will add other things mm. if you seek um, uh, his plan for the family uh, first. And, uh, yeah, I'm continuing to do that. Um, on the all- other end, and we'll talk about that later, um, uh, I have uh, elderly parents and a disabled oh, brother yep. that I'm caring for, and uh, it, it takes time.
0: Yep. It does take those, time. Those family obligations certainly are, are very significant. Well, uh, I do want to get to uh, some of the discussion about, about leadership. Uh, I'm, I know it's, uh, in one sense, leadership is all around us, but it does seem like uh, your, your field has taken you into a lot of particular thought about leadership. Uh, so I'm very curious what you think makes for effective leaders uh, or maybe what makes for effective leadership as a category. Uh, any examples, positive or negative, that come to mind would be great. But uh, what, what do you see making for, for good leadership?
1: Well, uh, there's uh, it's it's a broad area to cover. I mean, there's um, uh, there's so much that goes into being a good leader. But uh, let, let's say if we're looking at the um, uh, the kind of person who's going to lead a large organization or tends to lead a large organization, um, vision I think is crucial. Uh, it's uh, important to have a vision for where. Uh, you see the organization. Scripture tells us where there is no vision, uh, the people perish. Uh, so I, I would say vision is, is one of them. Uh, they, that future state that you hope your organization will, will have, whether it's a small one that you hope to make worldwide or or whatever your scope, uh, it's important, I think, to have that vision. So that's sort of an internal thing uh, that uh, I think a leader should have. Uh, other qualities or uh, characteristics uh, high energy, um, yeah, it requires a lot of energy uh, and focus. Uh, it requires um, uh, empathy um, and um, other qualities uh, along those lines. Uh, also, a um, an adherence to uh, focus on a task and focus on uh, the um, uh, the jobs at hand uh, that have to be done. Uh, if uh, it, businesses in particular, but, but other organizations as well, churches uh, that don't perhaps have an, an economic motive but have a, a, mm. another motive. Uh, it's still that vision and that focus on the task, whether it's to to be profitable, to uh, have um, good uh, performances from a financial standpoint, quarter after quarter, or it is um, in, a, in a church setting uh, to uh, disciple people, uh, to be good followers of uh, Jesus Christ and and the Bible uh to expand the boundaries to um, invite others uh, to uh, participate whatever that uh, the organization is in in other words um yeah it, it there is a vision there's a there's an empathy and a um uh, a, a, a people orientation that has to be um, uh, there in the person you have to, I, I think, really love and enjoy people, uh, energy to keep up with them all, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, a a focus uh, and uh, uh, on getting tasks done. And sometimes it's not as easy as it sounds, especially if you got people who um, don't perhaps share um, what the the task is supposed to be uh, or what needs to be done. Uh, Yeah, you've you've got a, and that vision is your guiding point. I think uh, to um, having that. Let's let's
0: follow that vision line for just a moment. Um, What does the leader do? What should a good leader do to bring others into alignment with a vision, or maybe to share that vision? Maybe if we could think about a company that uh, a new CEO has come into, or there's a new leader of a department, and he's trying to cast a vision. How does that person bring the team on board with the vision?
1: Well, that, there's uh, a number of approaches that that can be taken, but uh, in whatever the style of the manager, it, it has to be um, uh, done. Uh, some organizations, uh, and you, you reckon, I would recommend this, that uh, especially in this area of uh, diverse um, diversity and um, uh, various places of locations where people are, uh, it's important to broadcast uh, what that vision is. And then get in, get, uh, do a kind of a campaign of getting key individuals, mm-hmm. uh, on board, uh, with that vision. Uh, sometimes it's continuing, uh, what, uh, needs to be, uh, what the organization has been doing. They've been on a roll and they they want to continue that. I mean, you think of someone like, um, Tim Cook, who I, I admire and think has been, uh, very successful at, uh, Apple. And, um, what uh he did with um with apple he took the best of what steve jobs was doing and then it seems like he's he's made it even better right um if you anybody who's read biographies of steve jobs knows he could have been a, a, you know, a challenge to work with at times yeah the word
0: i've heard is quirky that he had a lot of he had a lot of quirks a lot of personality traits
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and you had, to, you had to kind of get, if you wanted to be on board with, with his vision, and he even got kicked out of his organization at one point, uh, you know, because people were not on board with his vision, uh, and then they saw the, the, uh, the wisdom of it and turned that around later on. Uh, it's, it's such an interesting story, the story of Apple, uh, but I, I think uh, Tim Cook has taken the best of what uh, he did in terms of marketing, and you saw how the, the, I, the iPhone 14 was unveiled uh, this past week. And uh, that's that's very reminiscent of of Jobs and how he would do things. And he's he's made some good economic decisions uh, as well, uh, such as uh, keeping the price um, uh, stable. I mean, it's it's not they're not going to raise prices on the iPhone 14, uh, which is uh, interesting in light of um, our current Mm -hmm. uh, economic slump. And it does seem like it's worldwide. not to uh, get into that, but it, it, but it's a recognition that uh, th- this is this is where uh, the organizational organization's environment is at this point. and, and I that, that's also part of vision, knowing um, you know what uh, what's going on in the world that's going to affect your organization. We are somewhat all open. Um, we're you know living breathing organisms and, and we, we have to take in resources and, and mm. send out uh, products and uh, a lot is going to affect that. And, uh, I think, um, uh, the, or, the uh, CEOs, especially that, that, uh, have, um, a, a handle on that, um, can, can do a, a very, very good job. Um, but to getting that, um, getting on board, uh, getting your people on board is, is critical. I mean, if, i um, thinking of, uh, someone like, um, Carly Fiorina, who I've always admired. Hmm. Um, now Carly Fiorina was uh, brought in um, to Hewlett Packard years ago. As, uh, and I think she was very much an outsider, uh, as I recall the story. Um, there were others who, like Anne Livermore, who might have been um, better, not better, but uh, more inside choices at that time. Um, uh, like that's, a t- that's a point at which getting your vision uh, for an organization um, out there and getting people to buy into it uh, would, would be crucial. Um, I, perhaps um, the board should have picked an insider. Maybe things would have gone a little bit better for HP at the time, uh, but it was a, a, a wonderful, um, uh, thriving organization at the time that uh, they were making the, uh, the choice uh, of a new CEO uh, Carly Fiorina was chosen as an outsider. Had brilliant ideas. Uh, one of which I thought was a good one. Um, it, it to to control some of the costs. I mean, at, at the time, I, I don't know all the remember all the details, but at the time, it, it seemed like HP had a number of rather independently operating units. They were rather autonomous uh, from the the large organization and. and uh, and that's good for decision making and um, uh, for uh, new product development and innovation. And uh, so, uh, organizations are looking into providing a lot of freedom, uh, like Google does. You know, one of the successes mm-hmm. of Google is um, that they have uh, a very, um, uh, uh, almost a hands-off approach to the creative side. Um, but at the same time, that costs money. So there's a trade-off to all of this. You know, there's a, there's always a trade-off you know, in a fallen world, it's always a trade-off. And the trade-off is that uh, costs at that time weren't controlled the way they should have been. And Mm -hmm. um, uh, she thought, maybe let's consolidate these units into four, uh, from I think eight to four, 12 to four, and then uh, we can better control the the cost element of it while still trying to maintain uh, the autonomy. And I, I don't, know all the internals of what went on. But it seems that um, uh, much of this was not well received. Um, perhaps y- y- um, having having to talk it around a little bit more sell uh, the idea a little bit more may have helped. Um, uh, but um, uh, there, there's something to be said uh, for uh, getting people on board that vision, especially if you're mm-hmm. going to make major changes. Uh, to a way uh, a company has been structured, uh, they often um, we're often very resistant to change. Um, sure, as, as you
0: know, yeah. I mean, I think that uh, that's that's part and parcel of human nature. We 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 we're very people are reflexively traditional and conservative, whether they would embrace those adjectives to describe themselves or not. They we, we don't really like change. Let me ask you one other question about leader uh, leadership before we kind of shift to the the management side. Um, So you mentioned the the leader has the vision, the leader communicates the vision, the leader has to exercise empathy and has to contextualize that vision. Uh, To what extent does a leader's success depend upon cultivating other people? Is, Is the leader just sort of the prophet taking the people into the promised land? Or does the leader need to be building a team of successful people who all become more successful in their areas? Or is it some combination of both?
1: it seems uh, it's hard to be a leader unless you have followers. Uh, uh, so in a, a very real sense, it, it is important to cultivate those relationships. Uh, it, it's uh, very difficult to do these things uh, on your own. People who try to do them on their own are, are usually, um, lead, uh, well, they, they find themselves uh, not being as, as successful as they could be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I would, um, I'm in the camp that it's important uh, if you're a leader. And this is why it takes so much energy and empathy with people uh, to to be able to work with them. And um, uh, perhaps, um, uh, you know, we, we have to also recognize that we don't have all the answers. And mm. uh, in the company of many counselors, there is wisdom. Uh, in uh, talking uh, the vision and the ideas around, you may be able to at least tweak some of that. Uh, so uh, I, I, I would, um, uh, be in the camp that uh, it's, it's more about um, cultivating relationships among key individuals in the organization uh, that share the vision. Uh, generally, we found um, in uh, studies of organizational culture that um, those who don't share the vision of a founder, for example, uh, tend to just leave and go off uh, someplace else. Those who do share the vision uh, contribute to it and uh, grow with it. Uh, mm-hmm. So that would be my answer in short.
0: Um, uh, I think that's helpful, um, and I know it's certainly a, it's. And I, I work in an organization that where our, our founder has uh, has been pretty clear about the vision, and I, I mean I've seen that kind of process that you're identifying. I mean there have been people over the years who were very competent, but just disagreed fundamentally with the direction the founder wanted to take our school in, and mm-hmm. they they ultimately found a lot more satisfaction somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think there's I just It's very interesting. I think in the church world, there um, there's a temptation to think of sort of I've heard it described as the CEO model of the pastor, where it's the the personality-driven pastor comes in and he like creates a ministry all around himself. But then if he ever leaves, then then the ministry kind of goes with him. Or if he has a fall from grace, then uh, that just seems to reverberate throughout the church. But then there are other pastors who take this model of Uh, really discipling other people in the church and really seem to, they're usually a lot less flashy. (laughs) It's a lot Mm -hmm. less exciting uh, to be in that church, but it's generally speaking, I think a lot healthier. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I was curious if that same. same, It sounds like that same paradigm happens in the, in the business world as well.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. And I've I've seen it both in the church. I, I, I attend church regularly uh, and uh, I've seen that in, um, in business settings as well. Uh, and um, there, there's something about um, uh, having a succession plan um, in uh, both. Uh, so uh, I mean, you, you'd see David had a succession plan in Solomon. If you want to, you know, look at it broadly, uh, see so you can, oh. you know, yeah, oh, somewhat. You
0: <laughs> kind of did, but I was thinking <laughs> that like there's a kind of discrepancy where uh, at one point one of the priests goes to uh, Bathsheba says, you know, David's getting really old. We ought to just go ahead and. Let's make this nice in public so that everyone knows it's Solomon and not one of the other sons, but. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, especially
1: since one of his other sons were doing it, right.
0: Right, right, right. What appears um, just a bit, I would, um, I- I'd love to get your thoughts, uh, particularly on the areas kind of a corporate structure and where management fits in a growing company. Um, mm-hmm. I-, I think of popular images of managers of a sort of bumbling morons, the, uh There's the pointy haired boss from Dilbert. There's Michael Scott and all of his many successors in the office. Um, Are those images fair? Do they actually, is that what an actual office manager looks like or uh, is the reality far different from the popular perception?
1: If, um, if there was no truth to it, we probably wouldn't find it funny. (laughs) So yeah, they're, they're, we do come across managers like that from time to time. Uh, and if you're going to be in an organizational setting for any length of time, uh, you're going to run into those kinds of people and worse. Uh, the person that could probably tell you more stories about that than even I can would be my husband who you met. Mm-hmm. You know, next time we hook up, um, yeah, ask him about uh, some of the bosses he's worked with. Uh, yeah oh my uh yeah a pointy haired boss and beyond mm. uh there there have have been those uh they generally i i they generally are successful in organizations for for reasons that um ought not be um but um you know they're very good political operators and that type of thing so I, and I don't mean to t- paint a negative pi- a picture of uh, middle management in general, because that's that's not uh, totally the case. but just to say that they are there, uh, and we wouldn't find this funny or relatable if they weren't. Um, so so yes, they're there. Uh, we have this picture of of a, of a leader being visionary and um, uh, guiding the organization towards that vision and and maybe uh, if we take the um, the biblical analogy of, Paul as the leader, the visionary of the church uh, that uh, really propelled it beyond uh, being, uh, being considered a Jewish sect and um, uh, bringing it uh, to worldwide prominence uh, as a religion. And then uh, Timothy um, managing a church. <coughs> and um uh, making sure there's, um, uh, there's godly people who are the overseers and uh, uh, the deacons and, and uh, whatever uh, structure uh, that was in place. And so that structure uh, is um, in some ways um, uh, guarded by, uh, by management, uh, and um, that, that needs to be in place. Uh, then there's the whole uh, organizational culture of it, uh, and um, uh, how the, um, the the people interact with the leader, how the leader interacts with the people, um, and uh, that can also either doom or uh, propel uh, an organization to success mm-hmm. as well. Um, uh, we can consider uh, a, a, an organization like. Um, do you remember Kodak? Mm-hmm. Kodak. You know, Kodak at one point uh, was a. Um, I, I, for a hundred years, I'd probably had a monopoly in its field, mm-hmm. uh, and it was a wildly successful uh, organization. Everybody uh, in um, Western New York wanted to be part of Kodak. Um, when it- I was
0: a kid, I remember we still we didn't have a an actual video an actual camera for a family vacation. We stopped at Walmart and we picked up Kodak disposable cameras mm-hmm. that we could bring back. And it yep. was a Kodak branded stand that would develop your pictures and have them ready for you within three hours. And uh, they, they still, this was even in the, this is the late 1990s. They still were a, a big part of the, the photography world. Yes. Even at that point.
1: Yeah, they were. Uh, and um, they were, uh, they, they wanted, I, I think, to, to maintain that model. And much of the company's efforts, it seemed, uh, in my reading, went into uh, tweaking and perfecting mm-hmm. Uh, that mm-hmm. element so much so that uh, even though uh, Kodak really invented digital photography back in the seventies, uh, they were overtaken by. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, yeah, it's, uh, the irony of it, right? That. Yeah, yeah, they were. They uh, back in in uh, the mid seventies. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. nineteen seventy five. Yeah, they had invented the digital camera. Uh, the idea was, um, hmm, you know, they uh, taken by others as um, uh, and uh, well. Kodak uh, kind of left that on the wayside uh, and focused on um, film photography. Mm. Uh, others took uh, the digital end, and, and um, here we are today. Um, yeah, so that, that's, that's um, maybe getting a little bit of a tunnel vision there. Um, and that has to do with uh, the organizational culture, uh, the, the, the way an organization is structured, which is, is uh, an element of that. Uh, and um, uh, then when you have leadership that tries to change that and uh, can't quite navigate um, or, or move uh, an organization in another direction, uh, you, um, you get a greatly diminished organization. And uh, today, I, I think the only um, monopoly that Kodak still has, I, I could be wrong, but um, in uh, cinema film. Um, oh. you, yeah. Right. Huh. Yeah. If you know. Yeah. I if, if you're um, like me, I like to listen. Sometimes look all the way to the end of the credits on films, and mm. a lot of times you see um, you know Kodak film uh, used for this. It, it, yeah, because film gives that nice smooth you know uh, edge to it. Uh, so that that's been uh, there still, um, but that's a very small element of of what they once were. Uh, you yeah. know. Uh, so it, it, um, and a lot of that has to do with, um, uh, the structure, not wanting to change, uh, and not, not maybe, and maybe not moving people out. Sometimes, um, you, you have to agree to disagree and let people go, um, when, um, they are not on board with the vision. If they don't go on their own, many do just go on their own. As, as I've said, um, you know, there's a, this um, assimilation of similar um, views that happens in organizations, and sometimes that is your undoing when you get a similar uh, uh, view, and it's um, mm-hmm. one that is on on a track that is leading to nowhere, and uh, economically, and technologically. So it
0: sounds like then really business is a, it's it's very dynamic in the sense that there is this vision that the leader has cast, but there's. In a large enough organization, the leader is not the one who is actually implementing the vision in all the different departments, but you've got managers in each department who are overseeing that vision as applied mm-hmm. to their area, and there's constantly a drive to kind of do the thing that the company exists to do, but also be able to pivot based on the demands of the marketplace as that changes.
1: Mm-hmm. I think that's well said. Yes. Um, yeah, you've, you've, uh, you've got it in... Um... Uh, just a couple of sentences. Yeah, I would. I yeah, couldn't have said it better myself. There. Gosh.
0: Oh, well. Uh, let me ask you this then. Uh, it, it seems to me that in part we're living in a whole new world of business compared to previous eras. I mean, I know uh, I mentioned my grandpa earlier. He he moved from the education world to the education support industry and textbook sales. But there was a central hub. There was an office that he operated out of. He made sales calls and he went places, but there was an office. Um, mm-hmm. So many companies today are made up of virtual employees, literally scattered around the world, either restructured when COVID or started that way from the get-go. Uh, startups that have vast amounts of venture capital and it's... Uh, seemingly have in some cases seem to have a blank checkbook to uh, someday in the future make their product actually work, but they've got enough funding that they can they can live high until then. Uh, and global outsourcing is a factor that manufacturing always has to has to weigh. Um, is this all truly new, or is are there some ways in which business continues to be the same? Are we in this revolutionary era for for business, or are there some principles that sort of run right through from past to the present?
1: In my view, uh, we've um, we pretty much have a, um, a maintained that paradigm of of that you describe uh, of business, but uh, some of the physical elements of it have shifted uh, and it's a, getting to be a challenge uh, for people uh, to um, uh, to navigate and manage that. Ooh, God bless you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, So in essence, uh, you know, what uh, what your uncle had done you know, in selling textbooks is still largely what it, it is being done, but not in that way, if you know what I mean. OK, we, we are much more digital um, as far as um, offices go. Um, much of the reason i think for having offices in the first place was because we needed to access the resources of the office if you know mm-hmm. what i mean um uh, when i was with um uh, double day or business week um, all of the resources that i needed to to do my work were in my office my physical office um, i couldn't necessarily afford a computer and if i could how would i mm-hmm. Um, do some of the work. We had some rudimentary um, connections. I mean, I could send email uh, to uh, from the 43rd floor to the 48th uh, in the McGraw-Hill building, um, and I could communicate uh, online with our supplier of um, uh, advertising uh, data. We, we used to uh, take a look at how we were doing vis-a-vis uh, other organizations, and uh, so we would get flash reports from internally and, and compare those. Um, are, you could still do that. To, you're still going to do that today, though, those types of things. right? Mm. You're, you're, you're still going to be uh, tracking your sales. You're still going to be uh, doing a lot of the um, uh, the day-to-day uh, kind of work. But are you going to, you really need to do it in an office. Mm. Uh, that's, yeah. And, and even classrooms. Do, do, does everyone really need to be in a classroom? Yeah, uh, and yeah, so right. Yeah. The resources, in other words, have uh, have been decentralized. Sure. Uh, and I, yeah,
0: I'll at least make a make a plug for the the physical classroom in the sense that it it definitely depends on the level of maturity of the student and the prior mm-hmm. preparation. Um, I think I've I've benefited from an online distance PhD program, but I don't think I could have done that if I had not had an excellent undergraduate education that took place in person. Mm-hmm. I think in the K twelve space, we have seen so many students who uh, need the interaction with the teacher. They need the teacher to be able to actually point to something on a sheet of paper. Um, they need the interaction with their peers. We have had a few students who seem to function equally well in the classroom or virtually, even uh, at that middle school or high school level. Uh, but so I would just say, I th- but I think it is an open question. And there's a ton of new ed tech companies that are massively trying to capitalize on COVID and uh, argue that, well, COVID really showed us, amongst other things, that you don't need that brick and mortar school. And we'll deliver to you the same education faster within way more fun apps than you could ever get by actually reading real books. Hmm. Is uh,
1: that so, right? Okay. Oh yeah,
0: it's a it's a big it's a booming field, but uh, and that, that's a vast oversimplification of a, of a lot of companies. But uh, the verdict is still out on whether or not there's a the ability to do quality education. Uh, we at least found as a school that uh, really the vast majority of parents found immediate benefit from their kids being in school in person, and not just because they didn't have to take care of their kids while they were at work, but because they could see the social and emotional parts of learning that were taking place. When you strip those away and you boil learning down to just information on a screen, it's really hard to do that as like your primary education or even your secondary education level. And I would go so far as to say, I, I I don't see that as being nearly as formative for even college. Uh, there's something irreducibly complex about the the actual conversation that takes place in person. Mm-hmm. But there are lots of people who disagree with me and are trying are staking their claim in that space.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah there are. Um, it, it, um, the needs of children differ vastly from mm-hmm. the needs of uh, adults. Sure. Uh, yeah, so in um the k through twelve space, it it may shake out that uh, classroom instruction uh, is the necessary paradigm that, that um, mm-hmm. needs to remain because children do need um, not only uh, you know, food and safety and shelter and that kind of thing if we want to go by Maslow's hierarchy, they also need socialization and they need socialization with peers uh, in, in our world. You know, if, we, if you're in an agrarian society, perhaps um, that's less important. But in our world, where you're going to be working with um, large groups of people, this the school structure uh, seems to support that more and support mm-hmm. that better. Uh, so at the K through 12, you you, you may be right some, uh, but it has it also has the uh, I mean the um, uh, uh, remote kind of learning has its its place as well. Uh, it um, it it does disrupt. Education, education was slapped together, if you ask me, remotely uh, because of the, um, uh, the pandemic. Yep. And that's, uh, to a large extent, why uh, some the reading scores have just fallen off a cliff. Mm-hmm. Is uh, You can't just throw this stuff together. This has to be done. Uh, if it's going to be done at all, it, it's, ne- it's going to need to be done with the, chil- the children's needs in mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some of the, the people, uh, and I had students that, at um, the college level, that just they they couldn't do it. If for no other reason, they just simply didn't have the resources to to be um, to have online instruction at home. I had one poor uh, student who told was telling me later on that it was um, difficult for him because he had there was one computer in the house. It was a three bedroom apartment. He had to share the computer with his nine year old brother, his thirteen year old sister, mm-hmm. and 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 then there was him. I mean, that oh, that's yeah, that's that, that's not workable. You know, well,
0: but I, I can so imagine parents who think they've actually done pretty well to have one computer that maybe three or four kids of those ages all share. Because in normal circumstances, they're not going to need that right. all the time, all at the same time. But obviously, COVID was, was, was different. Right. So
1: you know, those are things that you have to you know, sure. really do that. Um, but Liberty University has shown that uh, you can do education mm. on a wide scale for adults. Adults yeah. don't need the kind of they have different needs and children. And they've been very successful in their their um, uh, online uh, programs. And um, no one ever thought that they, that it would be successful. Um, they, they were being ridiculed for years. Hmm. This is never going to work. Uh, it, so many,
0: I've met so many adults. I assume some of these are who you see in Liberty, but maybe maybe not so many. But I've met plenty of adults who really regret missed opportunity, missed educational opportunities along the way. Either they just zoned out completely, or they did it one major and their career ended up taking them somewhere completely different, or they've had a lifelong passion and just have never been able to really learn the fundamentals or the extreme knowledge of that passion, and they really just want to know more. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden, you go from people who are compelled to be in a classroom uh, to self-motivated learners who really just want to learn as much as possible about
1: the content area. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that, is that typically who you see in a Liberty online? Set? That, is, that is who you see. Uh, and it's, it's a, it's a huge void that's been filled uh, mm-hmm. by online educators in that regard. Could uh, because as you want, you may or may not want to be educated when you're young, you change your mind later. You're exactly right. Also life happens. Yep. Um, you get pregnant you can't really uh, do both. Um, some people do make do and they, they, they send their children to childcare and, um, but uh, there's, uh, there's affordability issues there, and then you still want to go to college. It, uh, it, it, um, yeah, it, this um, putting it off and then later coming back, most of the students, uh, I would say in the online programs, uh, are of that type where they've, mm-hmm. they've, um, they're really focused on the content. Whereas a child, not, not necessarily, even as a college student. College students, um, I, just taking myself as an example, I, the content of the, my classes was important, but I I really liked Tom Hartle, and I wanted to get to know him better. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, the relationship; those elements are so important to young people, and, and uh, we shouldn't um, uh, belittle that. I mean, that right. is important. Uh, it's well, it's um, education person, not just intellectually.
0: This was either Aristotle or Aquinas or both, but I always mix up the author. But I read this letter. I think it must have been Aquinas writing a letter. Uh, he argued that no one should start studying philosophy until they were about 40 years old.
1: <laughs>
0: they did enough life experience to know why they needed to know philosophy. And I, mm-hmm. I think there's something to that about, like, we have to go through enough life to realize, wow, I do need to know these foundational things. And suddenly, real knowledge matters a lot more.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and so that's where you're seeing a lot of the, the online uh, educators be successful is mm. uh, with those adult learners that uh, really missed out um, or they mm. feel they have missed out. Maybe they didn't, but they feel that they've missed out and they, they want to uh, do a career change or they want to just learn more. Uh, and um, the uh, the online platform gives them the flexibility to do that. Uh, and they can think when you have we don't have to show put one more thing on your calendar and one more schedule one more event uh, you can you have the freedom and the flexibility to to do it yourself and that's really the the, the big draw uh, and log on uh, and listen to the lecture or log on and post your your response mm-hmm. to uh, the discussion question uh, on your time even if it's at um, you know uh one in the morning when the kids are all asleep and it's all quiet. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a big draw. People get PhDs doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, yeah, I did that myself. I mean, I, I, to, when I um, got to the college level, I, I had to go back and get a degree. And I was thinking of commuting back and forth across the bridge to Fordham Oh and thought, hmm, um, <laughs> the online option is looking good. Uh, and well, so I, I, I went the online route to get yeah. that degree. Uh, and um, I, I never looked back. I oh. thought it was a, yeah. Fantastic.
0: Yeah. Dr. Hartle, as we're wrapping up towards a close, um, let me ask you one last kind of big question. We'll we'll wrap up here in a minute. Um, the founder of our school, uh, Thales Academy, his name is Bob Luddy, Uh, He prides himself on being a virtuous leader. Uh, He insists pretty regularly that integrity and virtue are both keys to long-term success in business. Would you agree with that?
1: I would be in his camp on that one uh, with um, some caveats.
0: Oh, please Uh, tell me more. I'm very interested.
1: (laughs) Okay. Uh, The the caveats are are first, uh, yes, integrity, integrity. Uh, and you know, virtue, uh, et cetera, are, are, are important, not just to, to business and to running an organization successfully, but uh, to all areas of life. But I think we all have to recognize that um, uh, people, including self, uh, are fallible. Uh, and um, we are, are, are tempted to do things, take shortcuts, uh, and do things that otherwise would not be considered virtuous and then justify those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as long as we're being honest with ourselves and uh, what virtue uh, and integrity require, uh, yeah, okay, uh, I, can, I can see that. Um, and I'm not expecting um, people to be um, uh, 10 out of 10 every time. You know we're 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 bound to miss the mark at some point, and I, I think um, uh, we have to be uh, aware of that, and we still have to focus on well what what was uh, the positive in this, and uh, maybe uh, direct people uh, to uh, how all of us can aspire uh, more uh, fervently. I, you you talk about um, uh, virtue and um, integrity. That's part of what. Um, Many of us refer to as servant leadership. Uh, I don't know if you've heard the concept, but uh, it it does flow out of uh, that notion in John thirteen in the scriptures, where Jesus uh, washes the disciples' feet. Uh, a and that uh, if you study scripture, uh, uh, pastors tell us that that was done by the the lowest house slave. Um, and if the leader, uh, virtuous uh, integrity uh, is not willing to uh, do those kinds of jobs. Uh, and if you want to, you want an outward uh, practical, um, uh, I, I guess, a vision of what what it means to be a servant leader, that, that probably is the best um, uh, tell, telltale sign that this person is uh, one of integrity and is willing to do uh, the jobs that need to be done, even if they are, um, uh, the, if something they would perceive is beneath them. Uh, mm-hmm. So, if, um, yeah, if the um, if the God of the Universe can can uh, wash feet, uh, then you know we can we can um, maybe um, scrub a toilet or two. Um, we can uh, do whatever it takes, whatever needs to be done to make the organization a success. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that, that um, uh, there are, are ways to, to look at that and observe uh, and see if um, you know, the, um, uh, the talk matches the walk, so to speak. Um, no,
0: that's, that's, a, that's a great word. It reminds me of a uh, moment I was walking down the hallway and this was my third or fourth year as a teacher. And I saw the principal come out of the girl's room. She had uh, big yellow rubber gloves on and she had like grabbed the chemistry goggles and a, and a smock. And she was wheel. She had a bucket in one hand and a plunger in the other. Mm-hmm. And uh, something had happened where, like, a toilet had backed up or whatever. And facilities had not gotten there quick enough to clean it up. So she was just in there trying to fix the problem and and clean it up. And that that still in my mind stands out as a, a real leadership moment. As just like. Mm-hmm. She's the same person who will give a tour to a bunch of VIP investors in our school, but also she'll grab a plunger and she'll fix the problem mm-hmm. as, as needed.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that that's, um, uh, that person sounds like one who's uh, honestly looking out for the good of the organization. Uh, and that's what you, yeah, when you're talking about uh, virtue and integrity, that's what you're talking about in terms of a, a leader um, having that integrity. Yeah.
0: Fantastic.
1: But Dr. Hartle. what uh, what advice
0: would you offer to anyone who wanted to start his or her own business today?
1: There's um, uh, I, I get that question a lot from um, my young students, um, the uh, the students that I teach at uh, Alliance University, Nyack College tend to be in that traditional 18 to 22 age range. And uh, they tell me, I'm really not um, interested in college. My father wants me to go. And uh, I, I, what I really want to do is start my own business. I want to quit now and, and start. And um, I was like, all right, well, uh, let, let's think about uh, what it would take to do that. And I ask them often, um, well, what, um, what jobs did, did you hold after school or what, what part-time job do you have now? And uh, don't have any. I so, said, well, that might be a good place to start. Um, there's a lot to be said for. And my son did this too. He, he um, I, I, we always uh, wanted to get him involved in in um, uh, school sports or or school activities or getting a job after school. He chose getting a job after school. Okay, but something that um, you you can. Uh, build on and get to understand how an organization runs and maybe get some leadership experience. And so the, the person who, uh, or people, I should say, there were many, uh, that um, said to me that they wanted to start their own business, uh, the, the route for them would be to um, actually join a business as an, as an employee, an entry-level employee, with the mop and the, the, uh, the plunger, perhaps, uh, when needed. Uh, and get in there and do it. Uh, see how an organization runs from the, bo- from the bottom up and then uh, ask questions when you're there. Well, how do you do this? How do you do that? What if this happens? What if that happens? And start asking and getting that, um, uh, getting that broader exposure from an entry-level position, perhaps even working up and, and uh, getting um, more of uh, maybe entry-level managerial experience, becoming the shift manager at uh, Starbucks. My, my son did that. Um, so you can, you can do those kinds of things and get the lay of the land. I mean, do I really want, uh, cause there's some headaches when it comes to running your own business and you, you pay yourself last, uh, you, uh, you, you never take a vacation. I mean, there's some dedication. I mean, is this what, is this what you are called to do? Is this is what you want to do. Um, and, and it requires a lot of passion to want to be able to do uh, whatever it is you're going to do. So that's the second ingredient is, is do you have something in mind that you really want to do that people want, will pay you real money for? Um, you know, if, if, if someone, if you are passionate about eating pizza, I don't think too many people are going to pay you to eat pizza, Though so you can try and find something like that, but, um, you got to find what, what you're passionate about. Uh, and then, um, I get uh, people to pay you for it. Um, and that's the other end of it, I think. Uh, is what I would tell uh, young people about um, how they would do go about um, deciding what uh, organization they want to run.
0: I think that's great advice. It reminds me of a couple guys I met who started the Valor Public School Network down in Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, I was asking them how they got it. Like, how do you, how'd you start a school? I'm always intrigued, dude. That's a really complicated process. It turns out they had had the dream for starting their own school about ten years prior. And in order to learn how to open a school, they went and worked for Great Hearts Academy in uh, in Arizona mm-hmm. for about five or six years. And they taught for a couple of years. Then they became administrators. And eventually, these two guys were tasked with starting new schools for Great Hearts Academy in San Antonio, Texas. Mm-hmm. And it was after doing that in that whole network that they, and they, I, I assume they were pretty open about this at the time. They, they certainly were willing to tell the story openly. Uh, they they did great work for Great Hearts. And then they finished their contracts and cordially parted ways and opened Fowler <laughs> Public Schools, having gained all the experience and as part of building a different organization. And that that seems to me to be a really solid way to go about getting that initial experience. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep, um, and and uh, we've seen it work uh, time and again. That's an excellent ex- example, uh, and and that's in a field that's very very difficult uh, to. Um, uh, uh, enter uh, on a ground level, if you ask me.
0: Um, yeah, we we teachers tend to sometimes we'll get grumpy about some decision, and we'll all start dreaming. But as mm-hmm. soon as we start dreaming about everybody opening their own, it all works until you ask where's the money, and it's all of a sudden, because you need a you need a building, and you need personnel, and you need curriculum, all before parents will at all trust you with the education of their mm-hmm. children. And it takes vast startup capital to get those three things.
1: It does. It, it may. It may not. If we leverage our um, church buildings,
0: um, that's a possibility. No, um, you know, that's but, yeah. We that, have classrooms
1: that are only used on Sundays in our church building. I mean, uh, if someone wanted to partner with us and do Christian um, uh, liberal education, um, oh. I You know, uh, oh. I yeah. We have the infrastructure already there, but it's it's used one day a week. Why not scale that up to um, you know six days a week and um, oh, man.
0: School. Well, if you're uh, if you're if you're in the if you're ever launching your own uh, network of uh, private classical Christian schools, you'll have to let me know. I'd be very excited to uh, hear about, have, what I heard about that, that um,
1: yeah, that would be uh, that would be a wonderful vision I, it, mm-hmm. that uh, I would uh, love to be involved in at some point.
0: Um, yeah, that's oh fantastic. Uh, well, Dr. Hartle, my real last question, uh, what, what book would you recommend that people read if they want to know more about leadership, management, mm-hmm. business, anything we've been talking about today?
1: Ah, oh, Well, um, if you just wanted to start your own business, uh, I used to have uh, my students all read and then we'd discuss The $100 Startup by Chris Guillebeau. Um, came out about 10 years ago. Um, And especially in a time like this where uh, capital is in short supply and um, uh, losing it uh, um, can be devastating, um, you can risk something uh, like $100 and and see if it works and then tweak it on the fly. Uh, A lot of uh, organizations um, uh, start that way. Um, And um, you can do anything uh, from something physical. Uh, uh, That book talks about uh, someone who um, uh, had lost his job and um, uh, saw uh, that there were uh, mattresses that needed to be delivered, um, watermelons that needed to be delivered, and then just started a distribution company doing, uh, you know, one was delivering mattresses, another was delivering watermelons. Before you know it, uh, within five years, they had um, a major distribution network uh, yeah. on the show. Yeah. So you've, you know, or if, Even if it's just you know, small, like uh, detailing cars, you detail it out of your um, your driveway, or you can uh, drive yourself to the person's house and, and detail it there. Um, yeah, how much does that cost to start, really? Uh, so there's, uh, it and you may not want to scale those to uh, the uh, the capacity of a um, of a Microsoft or a, a something along those lines, but uh, yeah, you can. You can make a living uh, if, if that's what you want to do. It's a very practical book uh, on how to, um, uh, to start a business. uh, one-page business plan, uh, which uh, kind of flies in the face of uh, what uh, a lot of what I was teaching at the time, uh, having a you know multi, like a book uh, that you put together to uh, outline your business plan. And what a lot of organizations, um, volunteer organizations recommend. Um, so it's um, uh, that was that was very helpful. I thought um, from on a very practical level. Yeah.
0: Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Hartle. This has been a delightful conversation. I feel like I've learned a ton about business. Uh, I really appreciate yeah. you coming and joining us today.
1: Oh, uh, any time. Uh, you've been a wonderful host. Thanks so much, Josh.
0: Oh, you're very welcome. And thank you, listeners, for joining us for another episode of the Optimistic Curmudgeon. My guest this episode has been Dr. Suzanne Hartle, professor of business at uh, Alliance University and Liberty University. If you like this episode, please leave us a five-star review and share it with your friends. Until next time, seek the good, discover the true, and love the beautiful. You've been listening to another episode of The Optimistic Curmudgeon, where the best ideas win. I'm your host, Josh Herring. The Optimistic Curmudgeon is a project of Thales Press. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a five-star review and share it with your friends. You can find us on three major social media platforms. Search for The Optimistic Curmudgeon on Facebook and LinkedIn, and find us on Twitter at the handle at The Optimistic C3. This episode was edited and produced by Madison Kay, audio engineer for The Optimistic Curmudgeon. Until next time, seek the good, pursue the true, and love the beautiful.